privilege to be, uh, be able to come up here and present the Word of God to you all. Um, it's just uh, very nice to be in the church and welcomed here and the way that the Lord has moved in the last six months um, in directions for us and uh, the way he has guided and the way he's guided the church. Um, today we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew. So if you want to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. The title of my message is, God Never Intended Us to Live Our Life Alone. All right, chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asked bread... Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. Thank you for giving us your word and your spirit guiding us in our daily lives. We just pray, Lord, that we would honor you today, the day that we come to worship you, and the, the songs that were sung, the testimonies that were sung would be enough already um, for us to realize how great you are. And we just pray, Lord, that this morning that you would be honored and pleased with the reading of the word, uh, but it's also with the application of your word this morning. May you use me to uh, present your word in a godly fashion. May your spirit be with us all that we might be able to um, put aside ourselves and our pride and our, our own thinking, that we would hear your word, what your truth, what you wanted us to hear, and would be able to apply it to our lives, that we might be more like your son, what example uh, that he gave us here in life, an example and the purpose that he came. We just pray now that you would be um, lifted up and that you would be uh, worshipped here in this time. In Jesus' name. This text that came from is found in uh, the greater part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount takes place in the book of Matthew from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7, verse 29. Um, Jesus begins his ministry. This is about in the beginning part of his ministry. And he's uh, the beginning years when he, the Sermon on the Mount takes place. At this time, he had you know, uh, been to Canaan made the miracle of the wine, has performed miracles, has done many wonderful things, preaches the word, um, and the people are starting to gather to him. And that's where we have right now what, what happened here just in the beginning here in, um, in chapter 5. We find that a great multiple had been following him. And there were just so many people. They came for the miracles. They came for a bunch of different reasons. But he wanted to have some time alone. So he went up into a mountain area a little ways away where... Um, he could be alone. And eventually his disciples uh, came and other people came and started gathering around him. Um, they wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear. He, he was coming to the people with something that, that we all have and need in our lives. And, and he was presenting it in such a fashion that the people were drawn to him. Not only that, but they saw the miracles. I mean, you see somebody commit, uh, perform miracles. You're gonna, what's going on here? And the way he presented his, the, the word, um, it was different. And that's one of the things that they said about him. The people listened to his teachings were astonished uh, because he taught as one having authority. So they came to him and they were, now, again, you got to understand the people that were following him. You know, they didn't have the word of God like we have the word of God. They didn't have the spirit uh, the way that we have the spirit today, the way God works in our lives. But he was... Um, uh, presenting himself to to them, they they were in a Jewish nation. They were in Israel, who was supposedly uh, loved God and uh, loved His Word, and they would go to the synagogue and hear the Word presented. But the people were coming to him, 
didn't fully understand what his purpose was. If you remember the apostles, up until the end time, right before he, when he talked about that he was going to die, they gave him a hard time. You remember him they were confronting him and saying, no, 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 you, you're not going to go and, you know, and be killed. You're, you know, no, stop talking like that because they wanted him with them. But they didn't understand completely his mission. And throughout the, the, the time that you look, I love the reading the Gospels because the way he presents it. But when you read the Gospel, you've got to understand that he was trying to reach the people and to help them to understand their need, uh, that we have a need, that every human being has a need. That's to ultimately be, be filled by God. But his message was to a point where it was supposed to bring the conviction into the life. I mean, if you look at uh, the, just the, the Beatitudes, the beginning here of, of Matthew and the way he begins to talk, he, he just brings it in such a fashion that all, uh, you know, uh, that uh, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to uh, walk and how we're supposed to present ourselves it's just so lifted up that it's like, how can we perform this? But he performed it in such a way that it gave people inspiration to come and want to hear more about him. And my proposition here is that uh, God desires us to live a life in him and not independently of him. How are, to, how are we supposed to live our lives with God? And I believe here in this context of these uh, verses that there are two ways God want us, wants us to live our lives in accordance with this passage. And it starts with verse, um, sorry, verse 11. And it, the thing that it starts with, it starts with salvation. Here, to become the sons and daughters of God. So it, let's look at this. It says, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give you good things. So he's setting everything aside here. He's sitting here talking with the people and talking to them about heaven and your father in heaven. So he's referring to God and God and, and spiritual, uh, the spiritual sense and the people of Israel had a belief in God um, and they uh, came here to, to listen to the presentation that Christ had, was giving to him. But he wanted them to understand more than what they were thinking because Again, when we get involved with the teachings of Christ, we put our own things into it, and that becomes a problem. You know, when we look at, at here, it says, what, what comes to your mind when it comes to this, your Father which is in heaven? So we talk about heaven. Are you a child of, of God? That, you know, if we look at in our present age, I remember when I first became a Christian, went home and we uh, presented uh, the gospel to our parents. And I remember one of the things that my mother had said was that, we're all children of God. You know, that's a current trend that is out there. Are we all the children of God? For the Jews, they believe they were the chosen one. They were from Abraham. God chose Abraham. If you remember the story of Abraham, how God chose him to move and to follow him and he'd make him a great nation. And it's with his uh, children, Isaac and Jacob, and then Israel becomes a nation. And then God makes many promises to the people of Israel that he was going to use them in a mighty way to reach the world. That was one of their purposes, to be an example, so that the other, other nations around them would see that their God is something different than the rest of the world. And the problem that we see here is that it gets complicated because the people of Israel at this time and many people today who are Jewish think that just because they're Jewish or born in that lineage that they are the children of God. And so that question is to you, is that the truth? Is that what Scripture teaches us? And I would say that um, in Jesus' time, many of the people thought they were the chosen one, but Christ had confronted them in many ways when he preached the word to them. He uh, would talk to them when, when they came. And, um, and some people look at Christ as if he was just this timid individual, that he was all love, and he was all love. But they were missing the message at, at times. And so Christ would rebuke some of them, especially the Pharisees that came to him and said that, you know, that they had it all. They've achieved it all. And they were deceiving and leading other people aside. And Christ said at times, he says, he, would be, he could raise up the stones to, be, to, to, to follow God instead of it. what they were thinking that, oh, I can, I'm just because I'm the son of, um, son of Abraham, that I have the privilege of being called the child of God. And God says, no, there's more than just that. 
There's more. Jesus taught them that there was more than just that. Let's look at some verses so that I can try to bring this home to you a little bit clearer. In Genesis chapter 1. I have most of them written down here, so I'm going to read from my paper as well as have the Bible open. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Why am I looking at this? Because today, not everybody believes that God created the heavens and the earth. If you were in this morning's uh, Sunday school, you, you saw what humanism teaches, that we were created by a big bang. You know, it's like, well, where did that big bang come from? You know, it's like all these, all these questions that these people have. And in our society today, you know, we, sit, we can look at this and we can say, you know, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, which God? There's so many God, in our, especially in our country. Our country has become a whole lot different than it was 50 or 100 years ago. Not that it's bad. We got a lot of people come in with different religions. It just gives us more opportunity for us to what? To share that there is a true God. There is the, the God who, can, um, who created everything in such a fashion. Also, I want to look at verses, verses 3, 6, 9, and 11. And what's so important about it is that I'll just use one of them. It said, God said, let there be. So with just the speaking of God's word, he began the creation. He spoke it. He didn't have to fabricate it. He didn't have to work it. He just, by his mouth, he spoke it into being. That just reveals a little bit about who he is, his power that he has. The power that we worship, the God who we worship, has a lot more than just you know, things happening. He's, he's a, a God of power. And he can do what he pleases by just speaking them into being. But after each, um, in Genesis 1, after each day, what did he say? He said it was good. And then on the sixth day, after he was done, he said it was very good. It wasn't tainted with sin. There was no sin involved. All the way through the sixth day, it was good. When, when scripture talks about good, a lot of times we misunderstand it. Uh, one of the times that this happened was um, in the life of Christ was a, uh, a rich man. He was on a journey and he came across Christ and he said, you know, good master. You know, he said to good master and, and he talked to Jesus and he, one of the other things that he had said that he, when Christ talked to him was about how, you know, he followed the Ten Commandments. He followed everything all his life and he lived a good, righteous life. And he said, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he asked Christ, and Christ, and, and Christ saw, first of all, what his prob- one of his problems was, was that he was coming to Christ and saying, good master. And part of his problem was that he knew that he didn't know who Christ truly was. Because he turned to him and says, there's only one that's good, and that's God. Okay, there's only one that's good, and that's God. And many times we misconceive the, the understanding of what is good, and what is right, and what is holy. Because we live in a world that that kind of pollutes it all. And so here in Genesis, we find that God says that it, everything was good. Everything was holy. Everything was right. There was no sin. In Genesis 1.26, and it said, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God makes man in, in his image. He, and and it, he, of all the creatures that he did, well, even the plants, he made the plants, he made the, the, all types of animals that he created, the whales, the fish, the, the plants, all those things, but not one of them did he say he made in his image. It was only when he came to man that he said that he was going to make man in his image. Let me see where it says right here. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there's a couple things that I want to point out here. Is that, what is the image? The image is... A human form, and we'd have to say no. Is God human? Is God in the fashion of a human? And we know from other parts of Scripture where it says God is spirit. We must worship Him in spirit. So He wasn't talking about our physical being that He just there and created. He's talking about who we are, our uh, the the what He gave us inside of us, the our desire for fellowship, fellowship with God, our desire to have a free will. Part of what he gave us, he had a free will. He gave us um, uh, the, the knowledge of knowing things to make choices in our life. So God made us in spirit in his image. It wasn't his physical aspect that he was doing. It was his, his spiritual one. Also, what I would like to point out, too, is that we see a little bit of something else here. Let us, and it says, after our image. 
And it's important that we see that because that's the beginning of what we later, what we call today. It's not found in the Bible. It's called the Trinity. So we learn about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how we have one God, but there's three distinctive uh, personalities of persons that are involved here. Also, it says um, in Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt make. So after he made Adam, and then he put a sleep on Adam, he made Eve, took out of the rib, uh, out of his side, created Eve. And he, at the beginning, he gave them a responsibility. They were to take care of the garden, to, they had work. Work wasn't a bad word back then. But he had them to maintain the, uh, the garden. And he gave them the rights to just do anything that they wanted, except for one thing, was to not to eat. And he told that to who specifically? He told it to Adam, because Eve wouldn't have been created at that point, he said to Adam that not to eat of this tree. And so Adam, later on, after Eve was made, told Eve. And then later on, they were tempted. And, but, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. When he said for him not to eat, for in the day thou eat thou thereof, um, thou shalt surely die. And in Genesis 3 is where we find out the problem. This is where Satan comes and brings the tempt temptation and deceives Eve and Eve the serpent came God or Satan used the serpent and the serpent was beguiled or tricked Eve and says has God said that you shouldn't eat of this has he really said that put doubt in her mind and so what did she do she ate of the fruit whatever it was you want to call it an apple that's go for it but we don't know what kind of fruit it was but what uh, she ate and her eyes were open and what did she do she went to Adam and what did Adam do you know, he ate also. He should have known better. God directly told him to that. And that's a problem that we have today, you know, with listening to what God has said. But they both, at that point, their eyes were open. And what happened? It was that they sinned against God. They both sinned against God. And this is where we see the problem that we have today. So what happened when they, when they sinned? Later on, we see them. Well, one of the things that I'd love to... Well, not love, but it answers. What I like about Genesis is that you, when you go through Genesis, you see all the things that God has done for us, the way, the beginning of what he's done. You see here in uh, Genesis chapter 2 where he talks about, uh, even about the marriage, about how them becoming one flesh, about the husband and the wife we have. That's why it's important that we read the full, um, the, the full word of God, that we also read the Old Testament at times, because those... The word of God is the word of God, and in them we have, especially in Genesis, we have the beginnings of everything that we have the trouble with in our society today, and it's found, a lot of it is found in Genesis. But he says here when it came to Adam and Eve that he had said that they would both die. Did they die? And that day they did not die physically. I mean, so oftentimes that's the whole thing. God is what? He's spirit. And sometimes when we hear what God says, we put in our minds what, oh, God said that you will die. Well, they didn't die the way you and I think. They didn't just die physically. They died spiritually that day. There was that separation now between them and God. And that's where our sin nature comes from. In the Bible, we have a sin nature. And it comes from Adam and Eve's uh, choosing to rebel against God and disobeying. Before then, how many children did Adam and Eve have? None. There's none recorded. They didn't have children, which is a blessing. Can you imagine if you would have had people who were born before with, uh, before the sin fall? But everybody afterwards came from the fallen Adam and Eve. We have Adam, we have um, Adam and Eve, and then we have Cain, Abel, and you see what happens there. But with everybody, all of our history, that's where we have our past. So the question is, even for yourself, why do you sin? Why do we sin? And that's because we are sinners. We come from a lineage of Adam and Eve who were sinners. We also, if we look here, I don't want to take too long because I've got a lot to cover today, but when God cursed the, the, the world at this time, there was a consequences even at this time for what Adam and, did, Adam and Eve did. And it was the, uh, the, the whole of the world was cursed in, in certain fashion. One of them, which is if any of you are gardeners, 
you hate this curse that God gave. One of them was the thorns he talked about. Uh, thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth in thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb so in the field, so, and by the sweat of your brow. So now if you're gardening or doing anything like that, it's not so easy. It's, you're covered with all these thistles and thorns and all these other problems. But that's a, a minor thing in comparison to the sin that took place there. Well, one other thing that I want to point out, though, is um, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They went and hid. You know, they knew that they were naked, that there was a problem. Before that, they had no problem with it. But here, all of a sudden, they have a problem with it. But unto Adam also, in verse 21, it said to him and his wife, the Lord God made coats and skins and clothed them. So this is the first indication here that we have. He gave them coats and skins. Now, did a deer walk by and just give its, its skin? Now, the indication here is here's the first death taking place. And so you, when you go into evolution and all the different things that take place there, death started here. There was no death until this took place here, until God um, took the lives of the animals to give them clothes. Let's look in John chapter 1, verse 16. 1 through 16, sorry, John chapter 1. I have all my bookmarkers in here, but that one fell out. It says, in the beginning was the word. Now, I'm going to cheat for you for, for you right now because I want you to look at verse 14. And it says, in the word, so we're going to be reading a lot about this word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of this and cried, saying, this is he of whom I spake. So it's speaking of Jesus. If you're not aware of this, in the beginning it says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So again, another opportunity for us to see the Trinity. Uh, that He is part of the Trinity. and he's, I don't know how you describe that. He's part of God. He's God. And he's the person of the Son of God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So we look at the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which part of, I mean, it's all one, but which person of it, it tells us is Jesus Christ. All things were made by him, and without him was not made anything that was made. I mean, it's hard to decipher. To me, as a human being, it's hard to really break apart the Trinity, because they're one, and yet they have certain aspects of them that are different, and it's being finite. It's very difficult to comprehend, but it's in the Word of God, and it's, it's beautiful to see it that way. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent by God, whose name was John, and the same for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, that is talking about John the Baptist, but was sent to bear witness of the light, that the light that was the true life, which was lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he powers to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's what I like to look at more detail. What does it mean to believe in his name? Um, let's look at one other one while we're here in John. I'm sorry, John chapter 8. Can't turn there too quickly if I don't tell you where to go. Chapter 8, 32, starting in verse 32. Jesus is speaking, and, he's, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, and this is the Jewish people, they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we are never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? We shall be made free. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth in the house, for, abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. So, 
Christ is using spiritual terms to talk to him in a physical realm, which I'm sure they had no comprehension of what, what he was talking about, which is already difficult for us to truly understand. But it says, the servant, or it talks about, um, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is a servant to sin. That's the, the, the scripture talks about when, when we sin, now we're under that bondage. You have no choice in a realm. You have no power over that sin. I mean, we can choose certain things, but in general, we're under the control of sin. And that's where Christ comes and he says, he uses, talks about the son and referring to the son as being him, the son of God. And he says, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And this is what he's talking about. The purpose why he came to earth was to be that perfect example. But the ultimate goal was for him to go to that cross. And when you think of that, when you read the, the scriptures and, and uh, on that, it gives you a better understanding of what he's talking about. And it says, As the son shall be, make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because the word has no place in you. I speak this which I have seen with my father and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered unto him and said, and Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto him, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would um, see the works, ye would do the works of Abraham. And what did Abraham do? He was known for, he was a man of faith. And that's the only way that we can come to God is through faith. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God, and, and this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. So he's talking about him doing the seeds of their father, which is Satan. And he's confronting them. I mean, you can't get any more clear than that. But when you are so self-absorbed and you don't look at the truth in a proper light, you don't see it for what it is. And that's what they had their problem. They chose, they chose just like we choose at times, to not obey and, and, and see the the problems that we have in our own life. Another thing that I want to bring, the reason why I'm uh, referring to the Trinity, because the so Trinity is so important in who Jesus Christ is and what he does for us on the cross. So in Isaiah 6, 6, it's speaking of seraphims, angels that are around uh, the, uh, the, the, um, the throne of God, and they're flying about and they're crying unto one another, holy, holy, holy. hope I said that three times. Um, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So it's talking about the holiness of God. Unlike us, the holiness of God. And it does it again in three ways. Many people refer to that and say it talks about the Trinity again. Now the question I have for, for you or how do we become the child of God? How do we know that we are forgiven? How do we know that we can go to heaven when we die? And Because we have a spiritual problem. God says that he's going to judge that spiritual problem. So how, how can we know? Let's look at a couple verses that help us to, really to understand this. Again, the Jews, they were confused by it. Spiritual things are not so easy. Why? Because we have the human flesh and we have the human desires and we confuse things. And for many of us, salvation is so simple. It's so blatantly clear. When I first heard the gospel, I finally heard it. And where I went to church, we didn't hear the full gospel. And when I heard it, it just, for my wife and I, it just, it, it made sense. It, made, it answered a lot of the questions that I had. But not everybody has that uh, fortunate of being in the right place at the right time. The Holy again, it's nothing that I did. It's the Spirit was working at me and convicted me of certain of my sins. And it's like, and that's how God needs, is working with all of us. But sometimes some of it has more baggage and it's harder for us to see clearly. We're fortunate if we get to hear the word of God and have the spirit working in us um, because not everybody's that fortunate to always have the spirit of God, to have the word of God confronting them. And if without the word of God, we can't do anything. Because again, the scripture tells us that we are what? We're, when we sin, we're spiritually dead. Now, if you're dead, spiritually dead, what can you do? If you're dead if, physically, what can you do when you're physically dead? Nothing. God tells us that we're spiritually dead. We can do nothing with our, anything to do with our salvation. So in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, a sin nature, and we struggle with it. 
in Isaiah 64, 6, but ye are as an unclean thing, and all righteous are as filthy rags. Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law, the Ten Commandments had a purpose, and that purpose was as you tried to keep the law, just like us, we want to follow the Ten Commandments, don't we? But what happens? Any of you follow the Ten Commandments? It's like we all fail. God knows that. And he says it was for a purpose that the law, with trying to follow the law, you would see, I can't do this. And what would you do? You would then have to cry out and say, I can't do this, Lord. And you'd cry out to God for his help. Now, what about, we saw in uh, Genesis, the consequences of sin, or that he talked about consequences. But here it talked in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in this case here, it's talking about eternal life. So Jesus is talking about that there's that spiritual death, that separation from God again, that is going to take place if we stay in our, in our sin. Now, to me, when I was shown these, some of these passages, it was, it was clear to me, and it, it made, made sense why I did some of the things that I did. I wasn't a wicked person as you know going around and doing a lot of difficult things but it made sense to me about who i was and i hope that this does for you also that looking at this that we can see a little bit of who we are so the the question why why it had to be christ why did it have to be jesus and that's why i referred to him so much before sometimes people don't completely understand this that you know why it had to be jesus why why it had to be who it was who it was that went to the cross one, we celebrated at Christmas, what? The virgin birth. A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. Also, other verses that allude to what is, hap what is happening here is Isaiah 7.14. It talks about a virgin will be with child. So it's talking about Christ, Christ is a unique individual. He's the only one like it in the world, and that is... He is both God, man. And that's important for us to re always to remember. But also in Matthew 27, 35, they crucified him and parted his garments. It said in 20, 46, in about the ninth hour, he cried aloud saying, Eli, Eli, lamach, alach bachthani. That is, my, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So God had a purpose, and this was his purpose from the beginning when he came to earth, was to redeem us. At that point, when he cries out this, he was the only one that was a sinless human being. He's God in the flesh, but he felt separation from the Father because your sin and my sin were placed on him at that moment, and it's described as God turning his back on him. So he felt the loneliness. Now... The whole thing about the Trinity, they are, they're, they're the Father, Son, and they're constantly having fellowship with each other in a unique fashion I don't understand. And it's the same fellowship, similar fellowship that God wants also us to have with him. Obviously, he's God. We're not going to have quite the same, but we're spiritual, and we're supposed to have that relationship with him. So when Jesus, therefore, had received vinegar, he said, said to this, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then... Luke 24 talks about after three days, he rose from the, the dead, showing that he has the power. Um, Christ died for our sins. We find this so much clearer, in, specifically when we come to the, the epistles. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, How Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And on the third day, he rose. And then again, and he rose again on the third day. And it says in John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Christ was unique. And what was another thing that was so unique about him? He was the God-man. Now, when we come to having a penalty paying for our sin, um, if somebody, what, is, what Christ did was in the scripture is talked about is substitutionary atonement. It's about, we see this in the Old Testament, where they would take a sheep and they offer a bull or a sheep for their sins. It was supposed to be an illustration.
for them. Now, in Hebrews, we know that it specifically says that no sheep, no, no cow, no uh, heifer can take away any sin. Not one sin is taken away. But they did that by faith of the coming Messiah. When Jesus came, John the Baptist saw him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay? He was that perfect one. And another illustration, there's so many illustrations in the Old Testament about who Christ was and what he did for us. When we look at the, um, the Ten Commandments and the, what they did at the Passover, how they cleaned, uh, killed the lamb and put the blood, the blood on the post. And everybody who had by faith did that, when that death angel came by, what happened? That death angel didn't come in and visit them. It went right by. They were protected by what? By faith. And throughout scripture, we see how God uses Noah and the Ten Commandments. Or Noah and the Ten Commandments, I'm sorry. I'm getting it. Noah in the ark. When, how did everybody get into the ark to be saved? Yeah, my kids are giving me a hard time when I get home on this. But how were they saved? They had to go through the door. And there was only one doorway to get into the ark. And when the ark was, when God was done offering his salvation for the earth to be saved, he closed the door. It was God who sealed it, according to the scriptures, that he sealed the door. We only have one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And for all of us, we have, when we hear the word of God, when we hear how God died for our sins, and it could only be Jesus, we need to evaluate and say, is this something I need? Because God wants us to all come to repentance. Also, in Romans chapter 10, it says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart, that he has raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our judgment that needs to come. Because Christ was that payment for us, that substitutionary payment. He was human, and he was God. If he was just a good man, I'll tell you what, I'm standing in line first, because he could only die for one man's sin. And I want to be the first one in line saying, I'll take his, I'll take his sacrifice for me. But he wasn't just human. He was God, and he was infinite. And because of that, it made him possible for him to pay for the sins of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. It's only through the son that we have forgiveness. But the problem, and I'll be done with this part in a few minutes on the next part. But we have a problem when it comes to this. What does it mean to be forgiven? Or how do we get forgiveness? For me, growing up, went to a church, I... I knew I was a sinner, you know, okay, and could I go to hell? Yeah, I kind of believed I could, but I always believed in Jesus. I believed in the virgin birth. I believed in his resurrection. I believed in his death. I believed he died for me on the cross. We are taught, all taught that. And I used to confess my sins to God on a regular basis. But there has to be a point in time when you sit there and say, I can't do this alone. I can't save myself from my sins and the judgment I deserve. I can only come to God, come to Christ and say, I take your, your payment. Please forgive me. And there has to be repentance. A time when you're repenting, not for your sins. I repented many times for my sins. But there was a time that you repented because of who you are. That you had that sin nature and that you're constantly going to sin against God. And when you do that, you get something from it. You get forgiveness. You get redemption. God does. And again... It's by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It should have that here. I got another one. I don't want to not say it. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift to God of, of it is not of works lest any man should boast. So all of this is a free gift from God. The thing, if you want to say thing that you have to do is accept it. There's no works involved. The problem is that we put onto it. For me, growing up, I always believed in Christ, and I hoped I did enough that my scale would be balanced. But that's works, and as a result of works, there was no peace. I never knew if I was to die that day that I would be in heaven with God. There is no hope in that environment. But in here, if we put our faith and say, I know who Jesus is. I know who he is. He's the son of God. He's the only one that could take away my sins. And we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven. And not only that, but we can have a secure hope. That is something that we look forward to because it's true. 
And it's something that gives us hope every day when we get up. And thank you, Lord, for my, for my salvation. Thank you, God, for my forgiveness. But God didn't leave us there. So I would ask you to think about it. Think about where you are in Christ. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Have you been, had your sins forgiven? But for those of you who are saved, I, I want to go on and one, uh, two more things here. Uh, well, even before we get, let me ask you a question. Because this is something that bothered me. I heard this from a Christian. I hear this from other Christians. But what about the good people out there? There are a whole lot of good people out there, are there not? I mean, some people are more godly, in that sense, godly than I am. They behave in, in, in uh, a fashion of love and compassion. You know, I heard a gentleman say that about his grandmother. His grandmother was such a good person. I can't wait to see her in heaven. You know, what about the good people? Where are they going to be? And God says there are no good people. Now, again, we've got to look at terminology. We as human beings describe good, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of good people out there if we use it as a human term. But in the sense that God used it, there is not one person who has not sinned against God. And because of that, it could be just a simple white lie. But God is so holy, he will not allow that into his presence. So the reason why I say that is because sometimes even Christians, as we're saved, we have that confusion about what about the good people? Unless they know Jesus. That's why it's so important that we deliver this message. We don't hang on to the message just to ourselves, that we share it with others. That was God's intention for us to give it to us so that we could share it to other people also, that we might enjoy it. But also one other thing, or two other things I want to look at before I go on to one other thing. <laughs> God is, I, I, I had this problem. I tried to go over this and over this. I, I haven't preached in a while. So my kind finds, pastor is very good. He knows how to do the message and I practice it. But things pop in my mind and, and I, I sometimes should shut my mouth, but I, I continue with it. But God is not done with us praying and asking forgiveness. Okay? He's not done with us. He did all that for us, but he's not leaving us there. He says that in Ephesians 1.5, I have predestined, or he wanted all of us to get saved, unto the adoption of children by Jesus himself, according to the good will, good pleasure of his will. When we ask for forgiveness, we become adopted into God's family. Here is the scriptural verse that talks about the spiritual that he's talking about, that we here are, that he's talking to, those who are the sons of God are the ones who have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So when you ask for forgiveness and you become that, it is the Spirit now that is guiding you. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. So we were under sin before. We had that bondage. But ye have received the spirit of the adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified in him. So God didn't leave us alone. Also, in, um, it says in John 14, I'm sorry, I got to read it. In verse 14, it says, If she shall ask anything, oh, I'm sorry, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray to your Father, and he shall give you another comforter. God is not done with us when he gave us salvation. He's telling the people here, they, it wasn't before Christ was death. So he said, this, is before, this was all before Christ's death, but he's, he's telling in the future what's going to happen. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I, leave, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In a little while, the world seeth me no more. But Christ did not leave us alone. He did not. He gave us the comforter. He gave us um, the spirit of God to dwell within us. So when we are forgiven, when we are redeemed, God has given us unto adoption into the right heir of 
all the promises that God has given to us, but also he is, um, will not leave us alone. Every day of the moment, the spirit of God indwells us and speaks to us and talks to us about what the spirit has for us. In Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance unto your redemption of the purchase, possession unto the praise of the glory of God. Pastor, talk to you. If you're not coming to the Sunday school classes, you should come. He's only going to be with us for a while, and he has... 45 years of years of experience of preaching and teaching. And he's been talking about wonderful things. One of the things that I enjoyed was, the other one was about guilt and the, the, the working of, of, of um, the way God works in us in that fashion. Now I'm losing my train there. But um, here it talks about um, the earnestness. God has given us the spirit. So if you... The reason why I talked about the guilt is when you're sometimes you're in despair and you may sin and fall away from God. What does he do? He has given us a promise. And part of that promise is that Holy Spirit that dwells within us that brings that conviction. When all of a sudden you get saved, you have conviction about things that you do. Reading the word, about doing things. That's because of what God has done and his promise that you are his child is there. And that's the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. It says, you are my child. You belong to me now. We have that, that spirit that dwells in us for the guidance, but also for that comfort. When things, when you think and you doubt your salvation, be assured if God is bringing conviction and doing those things with you and you believe these things, that you have that salvation with him. Let's go on to the last part that I want to talk about, and I'll, I'll wrap this up quickly. But Matthew, we'll go back to Matthew. The second part, he continues, he wants to continue in a life. And that life is a life of prayer. Our, 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 to have our lives controlled by prayer. I didn't turn there. It says, says here that you ask and it shall be given you seek and you shall find knock and it shall be open to you so God wants us to pray one of the things that um, as we look here for um, in salvation what did you do to get saved what is it that you did to get saved and the answer is nothing and here um, we, ourselves we uh, Christ paid for the full penalty then what does it do when it comes to our Christian walk in our, um, in our following of Christ. Is it of works? Is it of our, our flesh? You can will it and, and say, yeah, I'm in Christ. I can do these, uh, do these things. But that's not the way God has planned it for us. God wants us to abide in a life of prayer. It's natural to do it this way, to, to want to do when you know, we want to do things, we want to live in the spirit, to do it by our actions. But we need to stop and stop this and not do it in this fashion. It's by faith that we, again, that we trust God and what God has said. In John 14, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, I don't know why, I, I must have skipped over it. But what I want to look at here is the ask, the seek, and the knock. When you think of those terms, you know, it's like, yeah, ask, seek, and knock. You know, I go through it and I think, okay, yeah. But in the original language, the words ask, seek, and knock are commandments. Are, they're uh, an imperative. It's God is commanding us to do these things. It's not eh, when you feel like it or whatever. God wants us to ask, seek, and knock. He commands us to do this. And then Again, that's why I read this word in John 14. If you love me, keep, your, keep my commandments. 
sometimes we live in the reverse direction. Sometimes we want to live that spirit life, which we want when we're saved. We want to live that spirit life. But sometimes we do it on our own. I'm going to go and I'm going to witness tomorrow. I'm going to share the gospel with somebody tomorrow. And not saying that you don't do this, but the first thing we should be doing is be praying about this. You know, and if our life, we have prayer in our life, what happens? God is with us in that way. God wants to do something for us. Uh, we can accomplish many things, but the spiritual life is supposed to be fulfilled in the spirit. And God wants to, and that's the thing. What did God, God did all the work in our salvation. God wants to do so abundantly in our life that when we pray to him, he's going to accomplish those things for us. And he, you know, on the way, he said, well, yeah, you can take care of this. But he, he lets us to partake in that oneness with him by doing that. But it's only going to happen when we have a life of prayer. And so often now we're driving down the road. I start hearing a car in my, my car, uh, uh, ting, ting, ting in my car. And it's like, Lord, help me with this. You know, we pray in those moments. Not to, and I'm not trying to say that God doesn't want us to pray like that. God wants us to pray like that. But he wants a relationship with, with us, which is so much more than that. We can get things accomplished, but God says otherwise. He says he wants you to show and leave something for us to finish. If It's not just you or other people that think this way. There, when I was doing a lot of my reading, you don't know how many pastors that one of the book talked about that have this in the wrong direction. So it's, it's, it's not just the, the regular folks who are in the pew. It's like pastors. It's, it's, it's one of those things that it's part of our sin nature. It's what, you know, when it came to salvation for many of us, it took us so long maybe because we had pride in our life. I can do this. I can take care of this. I can be better. But God doesn't want that in our lives. We, we need to push back on our pride and sit there and say, what does God want? How does God want us to live this way? God commands us, says, no, I want to be the one. I want to be the one that's in your life. I want to be the one that's there with you through all this. Jesus gave us an example. Throughout his whole life, he preached, he, he, uh, he healed at night, and then Mark 1, and then what did he do? He rose up early in the morning and he went and prayed. Mark, uh, he went and prayed. In Mark 8, 19, 8, 1 through 9, Jesus prays for food. When he has 4,000 people, he prays for the food. And what happens? He has seven loaves and some fish. And he has so much that he has left over, he feeds all the 4,000, and he has... Um, Seven baskets left over. Jesus can be found praying all the time, before and after big events. Before he chose the apostles, he prayed. Before he went to the cross. I'm not going to take time to read it, but if you look at it, it's in John. I think it's chapter 16, where he talks about his prayer in Gethsemane, when he prays. And he talks about the, pray, the, the oneness he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. And he prays about us and the future of us that are coming. And he prays for what? He prays that we would have that oneness that he knows with the Father. And that's not going to happen when we work in the flesh. We have to work with the Spirit and let the Spirit do the controlling of us. Also, this, these three words are not a one-time thing. It doesn't just say to ask, seek, and knock. The word, there's a couple things that are here. It's a progressiveness in here in the word saying that we need to be doing this. But also in the original language, it talks about something, the way the, the, the Greek works, it talks about that it's supposed to be an action that continues. And so it's talking about this is not something that's re, uh, that is not repetitive. That's not something that you're not going to do over and over again. God expects this to, to, to be that way. Life in a relationship, we need to talk more than once. You go home, men, and you just talk with your wife. You just see your wife, and you look at her. You go in the other room. You turn on the TV. Go play with your the games, and go outside. And then you come in and you say, uh, "Hey, what's for supper?" And then you know, and then later on, and that's what your life is. I tell you what, you're going to have a shallow relationship. God wants more than just that. When we just cry out to Him in that in a fashion of, you know, I want this, I need this. Those are important, and God cares about it. In here it talks about of what man is there that of whom you um, your son asks bread, will you give him a stone? God wants to give us those physical needs. He knows about them beforehand. 
but he desires us to talk to him and to talk to him and to pray for him. But more importantly, this whole thing that Christ has been working about in the whole scriptures is concerned about our spiritual well-being. So I don't know what percentage. It's a smaller percentage that God, you know, is the physical. It's the spiritual. And that's the least that we a lot of times pray is for the spiritual. We should be praying about the spiritualness of of other people, about ourselves, about our children, about even protection, and even, you know, all those physical things, God knows about that. And he's saying, don't stop praying about that. I want to know about it. But he says the spiritual things is what he desires to have you grow in the unison so that you know more about him. God always wants to answer our prayers. We'll finish up here shortly. God here talks about for everyone that asketh, receiveth, and seeketh, findeth, and him that knocketh. God always, even before we get to that, God puts himself in a position where when we pray, he obligates himself. He chooses to obligate himself to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. And when you don't give him the opportunity, when you don't do those things, you're dismissing our, your relationship with him. God always wants you to communicate with him. He wants to answer your prayers. And he will always answer your prayers. It may be yes. It may be no. It may be maybe or in a later time. God, you think God who created the world by just speaking it doesn't know the best time in our lives when to answer our prayer? The problem is I want my prayer answered now. Lord, that thing, I want that thing to go away in my car before I get to where I'm going. You know, but maybe God has a reason for it. Maybe, you know, he has a banging or something like that on your car and you slow down. And then a little while later, that deer would have been out in the road. God orchestrates things or allows things to happen in our lives that we don't have any control over. Or even times we don't understand. And it's not going to be until eternity that we find these things out. But like a father, he gives the illustration of a father, how... It's supposed to be a, a good example because he talks about how the father, if a child asks for bread, um, he wants to give bread. When your children come home and they ask you for things, do you, you know, there's times that we're sinful and wicked. And that's the unfortunate, bad, sad by when Christ uses earthly uh, illustrations that sometimes some things are missing for some people. Maybe we have lousy parents and lousy father who didn't illustrate this properly. But God desires with a joy when your children come and ask you things at home when they come home, especially when they're little, you know, there's no, they just, their mouths are open and they say whatever that comes into their mind and their hearts. And, and it's a lovely, you know, cause there's that lovely passion that they have in there and God, and you enjoy answering their prayers by, or answering their questions when they ask you for things. And so is God, God desires us to seek him so that he can answer our prayers in that fashion. God is a, a loving God. I mean, if, we can't understand it if we just buy. We often forget it because we're human. And if we don't take time to think and dwell about the goodness that, of what the God's doing for us, we miss the gift of opportunity of having that time with God. Also, when I conclude this, is that God also says, you have not because you ask not. Okay, God, he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you consume it upon your lust. So there are reasons why we get no answer. Sometimes we get no answer at all because we haven't prayed. We wonder why we don't have the blessings of God in our lives. Well, it's not always physical. The blessings of God, I heard it this morning. I, I mean, I really didn't have to come preach when I heard about all the way that prayer and, and salvation and uh, the way God is doing so much in our lives here in this community, in this fellowship here. God wants to be there. God wants to work in our lives so that we have that joy and that peace and that only he can provide. You can find it with entertainment. You can find it with other things, but they're, they're empty. They're, they're, there's not that, that solidness that you get when you do things with God. It's hard to pray, and I'll tell you that right now. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against rules of darkness in the world, against the spiritual wickedness. We still have a sin nature. Okay, that hasn't been taken away from us yet until we go into glory. And we're going to take that away and then we'll be in God's presence. But we also have the world that is opposed to him. It's the enemies of God. 
And then we have Satan. He's trying to destroy us now. I'm sure he's not worried about me, but he's as orchestrating things with other things around to try to impact all of us to dim our lives. God says he's greater than him and has so much more for us. But we need to go to him in prayer. He commands us, but he desires it. So my question for you is, what are some of the problems you have with prayer? You know, what, what, is, what is the problem that you have in prayer? It's time for just to look at yourself. How about being saved? And your sin, are your sins forgiven? That's a hindrance for prayer. If you're a child of God, he hears it. If you're not a child of God, he's aware of it, but he's not obligated to answer your prayers. He does that when you first ask him for salvation, he'll do that. It's like if you have a neighbor kid who comes over for food, you can sit there and say, no, kid, go home. If your kid's hungry and they didn't have supper, it's your responsibility to take care of them. If you aren't, uh, how about having time of prayer? It, it takes deliberate action at times. We can cry out to him when things happen. Just like when you go on vacation, you plan for your vacation, don't you? You plan for it, and, and you want it to be, you know, a, a beautiful time. God says for us to plan for it. Take time, whether it's in the morning, in the afternoon. Jesus was a Jewish at the time. The practice was to pray three times a day. I'm not saying to pray three times a day, but we need to be a time when we set aside that we pray to God to help develop our relationship for him, to see God work in our lives. God is the only source that can carry our burdens that we have every day. We can't do it. We can't do it alone, and we can't do it without him. Let's go to him in prayer. Well, before we go to pray, um, let me ask a couple questions. Everybody's eyes closed. No one looking around. Let me ask you, 